I looked at the roster, I looked at the team, I looked at the history that you guys have had, and you know, I was like, man, I need to be a part of it. You can't factor out a fullback if you want to have a balanced offense. So I say that, you know, the fullback spot is not a dying breed. I say it's coming back even more. That was probably the worst and the best day of my life. I was with my mom. We actually cried of frustration and tears of joy at the same time. Welcome into the lounge for what's a really good episode. This one, I'll tell you what, money. It's good. What we're going to do today is uh, we decided there's always this appetite for getting to know the undrafted rookies every single year. People want to know. That's like the main question we get. As soon as the draft is over, rather than people asking about like the first and second round pick, it's like, yeah. who are the Ravens going to sign as undrafted free agents? Which undrafted free agents have the best chance to make the roster? Who's the hidden gem? Yeah, who's the hidden gem? Literally, after every single draft, the top the, the story that gets the most traffic on our website and yes. on our app is almost always Ravens sign 15 undrafted free agents. Every single I could, year. I could write that headline. Without <laughs> fail. Without <laughs> fail. Um, and so and, and what we're going to do today is we want to introduce you to three of the undrafted uh, free agents who are on this team who have a little bit of buzz about them. And yeah. it's uh, Ricky Ortiz, the fullback out of Oregon State, Tim White, the wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner out of Arizona State, and uh, Taquan Mizell, the running back. Smoke is his Smoke. nickname. Uh, out of Virginia. So we caught up with all three of them uh, and just had some really interesting conversations. Before we get to, into that, we have a good email. Uh, as always, you can reach us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. Go ahead, Garrett. Great email. This is from Sven. You're going to butcher this last name. Schlowowski. Dude, no. No, he's from what? Germany? Sven Schlowowski. 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 Yeah? <laughs> Sounds <laughs> Polish. So it does sound Polish, but <clears throat> since I live, the email says, since I live in Germany, the NFL wasn't really popular here until about one to two years ago, and I have to admit, I am a Ravens fan only since the Mile High Miracle. So we have a new Ravens fan. Good That's time right. to That's jump okay. on board. That you was know, a good time to jump ex- on board. Exactly. Baby. If there's a time to get on the bandwagon, <laughs> uh, not bad. Um, and so it's a long email, so I won't read all of it, but he says that as I heard the Ravens were selected to play in London, it was tough for me to find other friends who would go to the game with me to watch in England. He did recruit some friends to come there. He's going to be there in Wembley, uh, and he says that he needs us to let him know what pub we're going to go to. Yeah, he wants to be basically, he's in Germany. He's the only Ravens fan in Germany, yeah. or so he thinks. Uh, and he's just really pumped to be like in a place where there's tons of Ravens fans, so he can kind of feel at home for once. Right. So, and so we're gonna make that home for him. We're still deciding. This is a little teaser. We, as we've said on this podcast, Garrett and I will both be in London, and we are deciding what pub we're gonna be at to have the lounge taped live from the pub. Maybe we'll throw back a beer or two. Maybe. Yeah. And Maybe. we have there's there's been some scouting trips across yeah. Yeah. over to London, and there's. There's one that's, I think, standing out. Standing out. We might do it live too, fans. We might bring some fans on. That's just a little teaser. It's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a good time. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Can't wait for it, and uh, we'll keep everyone posted in terms of what pub we will be at and uh, when we're gonna have that live episode of the Lounge from London. So, yeah. thank you very much for the email, Sven. Yeah. So with no further ado, let's jump into our first interview with returner slash wide receiver Tim White. Tim, uh, you know, we just want to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, first of all, I want to kind of start at the beginning with you, uh, with your childhood. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up in California and, and what it was like there. 
Yeah, I grew up in, you know, Los Angeles, California. You know, kind of kind of moved all over the place, you know, especially during, you know, my high school or, you know, junior middle school area, you uh-huh. know, times, but you know, it was definitely tough times, you know, for my parents. I have a large family, seven sisters and one brother. Wow. And, uh, you know, we've just been, been all over, you know, experienced everything. You know, definitely hard times growing up. And, you know, my parents, they managed to, to get us through it and kept us positive throughout those times. So uh, a lot of those tough times, they, you know, they sink hard. But, you know, looking back at it, it makes you smile and, you know, just enjoy the times that you were you were there with your sisters and your brothers, and you fought through it and got got through it with them. Uh, so, could you elaborate a little bit on what those hard times were exactly? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, sleeping in cars and you know, you know, just hardships, real tough, tough times. Uh, you know, homelessness. You know, was one of the big things for for me, and you know, that was one of those things that I experienced oftentimes when I was younger. Uh, you know, our parents managed to get us in hotels and, you know, sometimes apartments or houses at times, but, uh, you know, just the consistency of homelessness, you know, growing up. When you have to go through that and deal with those struggles and those hardships, how does that prepare you for really the rest of your life? I feel like if you were to go through that, you probably feel like you can beat anything that you face later on in life. Exactly. That, it, that, it definitely shapes your mindset and, you know, your character as you get older and that's one of the things is when I look back at it you know and understand when I really realize what I really went through is like wow you know I could get through anything and you know it, it definitely builds your skin you know it makes you have tough, tough skin and you know just lets you know who you are. Did you even realize when you were going through it that it was as hard times or was that just what you were in that you didn't necessarily know good or bad but this was just what your situation what was. was? Yeah yeah I, at the time, I just thought it was what it was. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really look at it like, you know, I'm homeless or anything. Uh, our parents, you know, I'm sure all the pressure was on them. <laughs> you know, they had yeah. seven seven of my sisters to look out for and one brother. So, but, you know, we were just kids, you know, going through everything. We had real fun adventures and, you know, just experienced things that, you know, a lot of other kids wouldn't experience, honestly. But, you know, we, we did it and we had fun doing it. How long was the period when you, when you were bouncing around? Was it your entire childhood or what? Uh, I would say so. Uh, definitely my entire childhood growing up. It wasn't always, you know, homelessness, but it was, you know, definitely on and off. And right. uh, there were times that were longer than others and times where it was, you know, longer than others opposite, you know, where we were in the house for a long time. But right. definitely once I got to my sophomore year of high school, when I moved to Hart High School, that's when the stability came and we, we were in the house until, you know, I graduated high school and all of that, so. Right. Was there, is there one time that sticks out in your head that was especially difficult or, or one time that was like, hey man, we were having fun despite the circumstances, one story <laughs> that really sticks out in your head? Yeah, many times, many times I would say it was just the long walks to, to school, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, sixth grade, fifth grade, it was just, you know, six mile walks and you know oh, it, was, wow. it was a grind for sure you know and you would have so much time to just think about you know everything that you're going through and uh you know but those were also the best times and those were the times where you know I thought of football and thought of track you know and you would you know I was a kid to run and be juking out you know trees and just doing all types of stuff if you if you were driving you know looking at me you'll be like what is this kid doing you know? <laughs> but that's because I always wanted to play football and I always wanted to you know 
share that experience that all my other classmates were doing. You know, they right. were playing football. So uh, that's what made me, you know, were those long walks. But uh, it was also tough at the time. Right. <laughs> so you bring up football. So you start running track yep. and playing football. Did you do both starting at the same time? Starting at the same time my junior year. Of and, high school, uh, right? Of high school, yeah. yeah. So um, I always wanted to play. You know, I always played, you know, on the playground and everything. But we moved around a lot, so I never really had a chance to. But, you know, finally we got stable, you know, at Hart High School. And that's when, you know, I tried out for the team and made the team, uh, you know, started tr doing track after football season. And, you know, I started doing high jump, actually. I thought I was a sprinter, but, you know, I went out there and I wasn't the fastest guy. So <laughs> I was just playing around and did high jump, jumped like 6'6". Six, six, and I was like, oh, let me, you know, continue doing this. And from there I just took over all the jumps and, you know, enjoyed that. Uh, as far as football, you know, I, I was always a playmaker. You know, once the ball was in my hands, you know, I was raw, you know, as a as a player. But once the ball was in my hands, it was like, you know, something special was going to happen. Especially you, if there's trees on the field. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're playing in a forest, unstoppable. Right. Trees, cars. Right. Cars, <laughs> lights, whatever's there. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit more about, I mean, you became like an Olympic level yeah. uh, triple jumper. Yeah. Tell us about that progression and, and what it was like when you almost made it to the Olympics. Yeah. Um, triple jump started off for me. I was, I was the number one in the league for high jump and long jump. Uh-huh. Uh, my junior year so my senior year I was like there was one me I had an open event and I was like man let me let me try and do triple jump so you know I asked the coach I was like hey I have an open event you know let me try to do triple jump and he was like okay you know sure so my first jump you know I went off I didn't even know what it was he taught me at the spot what triple jump was <laughs> and I'm like all right my first jump I jumped like 45 that put me like third in the in California state holy <laughs> and like, like top 10 in the nation I'm like oh, okay so after <laughs> I got that, the hang of this <laughs> right after that I just started getting you know used to it and you know getting familiar with it and then you know I was top two in the state top three in the nation you know after that and from there you know, I continued jumping at uh, College of the Canyons, my junior college that I went to, and it was just awesome. You know, I, I felt really comfortable doing it, and, you know, from there I jumped at the Pan American Games, you know, nationally, you know, in the national championship, and won that, you know. So from there I just felt like triple jump was something that I could do, and, you know, I was just naturally good at so who's a better track star, you or Marlon Humphrey? You guys talk about this? Um, we haven't actually, <laughs> but um, I'm not sure what what his you know track background is actually. Because what was his event? I, I think don't know. He what was it? I want to say it was hurdles, but I could. It might have been. I think hurdles. it was hurdles. I think it was, it was hurdles. hurdles. I think. It was, I mean, he didn't go to the Olympic trials, so. Got <laughs> <laughs> it. I'd say I'd say me, but anytime you have an opportunity to do it as a, a dual sport athlete in college, especially at universities you know, big time universities that are, you know, big in football, you know, that's obviously a blessing. And Marlon was able to do both for a little bit of time at Alabama. And obviously I was able to my two years at Arizona State. So it just shows, you know, what kind of athletes we are and what kind of dedication and, you know, the hard work that we put in. Did you debate ever like, all right, I just want to solely focus on track and try to be an Olympian as, as my career? Or, or how did football outweigh that? Yeah, football was automatic. Uh, <laughs> that was something that, you know, is a dream for me. And you know, track was also, but football was something that I, you know, my passion is through the roof for, and that's something that, you know, I felt like I couldn't give up. So, uh, football was definitely something I approached and, you know, committed to 100%. Have you ever tried to triple jump 
while like doing a punt or kick return. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, but I have I have leaped over a couple of people. So <laughs> were they like what the? Yeah, they they were a little confused. <laughs> Looking back, like all right, <laughs> dude just jumped over me. <laughs> so one thing that I think is so interesting for you guys when you go undrafted is how you have you are in a unique situation. Obviously, everyone wants to get drafted, right? Yeah. But then if you don't, you're in a unique situation where you can pick. And a lot exactly. of people, you have probably had, did you have offers from a number of different teams? What yes. was that process for you? Yeah, definitely offers from a number of different teams. And, you know, uh, a lot came at me last minute, you know, like, hey, you know, offering big numbers or whatever. And I was just like, for, for me, you know, after my pro day, it was automatic. Like, I was looking at the Ravens really? roster. I was looking at the situation and the area, everything. So huh. um, from that point, you know, I, I kind of already knew if, you know, I didn't get drafted, then I was going to – I had them at the top, you know. So I already chose the Ravens if I didn't get drafted. And why was that? Um, like I said, I looked at the roster. I looked at the team. I looked at the history that you guys have had. And, you know, I was like, man, I need to be a part of it. You know, I want to be here. So that's what I'm going to strive for. And I put it, you know, out in the air. And it's exactly what happened. You know, I had the chance to, to choose, and, you know, teams came out with, with bigger offers. But I was like, I already set my mind up, you know, that I'm going to be a Raven. So let me go do this. I already created my guy on Madden and all that <laughs> stuff. So I gave him my number. So, <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was ready for it. <laughs> do you know Jermaine Lewis? Did you, did you come across him in Ravens history? Because you kind of uh, remind me of him. He was a returner here okay. uh, during the Super Bowl year in 2000. He was like kind of a smaller guy like okay. you, really fast kind of guy. You know, I'm like, you think of great Ravens returners. You think yeah. of Jacoby yeah, and Jermaine. Exactly. Jacoby's like a taller, kind yeah, of longer, longer guy. Long right. You kind of remind me of Jermaine a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure, so he brings up the returner thing. I'm sure part of the reason that you, when you look at the roster, you're thinking about the teams, you look at the returner yeah. position, you exactly. say there's an opening. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, how, how have you felt just kind of in that transition from a football standpoint of being out there during OTAs and minicamp and feeling like, all right, I can return at the NFL level? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I was really raw, you know, to start my football career. And but one of the things that, you know, was a part of me is that once the ball's in my hand, it was, there was something that was going to happen, you know. So, uh, you know, once I'm out here and, you know, doing OTAs and minicamps, I felt really good about coming out here and, and catching punts and, you know, returning kick returns. You know, that's just something I've been, I worked really hard at, you know, at Arizona State and something that's a part of me. I take high pride in and, you know, want to go out there and make plays. So I felt real comfortable. That's the most comfortable position that, you know, I feel at right now. Hey, can't have enough playmakers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure talking to yeah. you. All right, thanks to Tim. Uh, really enjoyed just kind of learning about his story. Yeah. Um, another person with an interesting story is Taquan Mizell, running back from Virginia. So let's jump into it with Taquan. Taquan, uh, really happy to have you. Thank we you just kind of want to, yeah, we want to introduce you to fans a little bit more. Uh, and I think we got to start out with a nickname. All right, the nickname mm. Smoke, which is. Pretty much the most badass nickname I've ever heard of a football player. That is sick. How did you get the nickname? Uh, well, it started off in high school, my freshman year. You know, I did. I played varsity, but then, you know, 
get as much playing time, yeah. but I was used as like a tackling dummy for like the starters. So I used to, uh, we used to do this little open field tackling drill, uh -huh. and none of our older guys could tackle me in open field, so our head coach ended up coming up with that name my ninth grade year, and it stuck with me ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. So throughout college, everybody called yeah, you Smoke, that college, was it? college, yep. So uh, Coach London started calling me that, and then, uh, you know, as things started to turn up for me, you know, started with the success at UVA, you know, the announcers, then professors, students, <laughs> it was just crazy. That's awesome. That's yeah. all. And it proved true. I mean, you base, you are a really tough guy to bring down. You set ACC <laughs> records, all-time ACC record holder for most yards receiving and rushing, over 1,500 yards, mm -hmm. first player to ever do that. I mean, did you go into college thinking like, yeah, I, I could, I could kind of set ACC records, or did it even take you by surprise? Uh, it kind of took me by surprise. Actually, you know, coming in, it was kind of rough. So like coming in, coming out of high school, you know, being like a five star and all those things, it was like a lot of pressure built up on me. You know, a lot yeah. of pressure that you don't ask for. And then I came in my freshman year, you know, I had a, a high ankle sprain injury. I missed a couple games. Then they like, oh, this guy, you know, the big time five star, where is he at? And then uh, right. my sophomore year, was it was a, a lot better. I was used as a third down back, jet sweet type of guy. And then uh, once I had my chance to start, I had my last two years to start, I was just like, you know, I'm going to block out all the outside noise, focus on what I could focus on. And I uh, had a new coaching staff, Coach Beatty came in, helped me out a lot. And then we just took off from there. You know, they changed the offense using me a lot, you know, mixed matches and, right. you know, changing the run game. And it was just me just taking advantage of all those opportunities. Wow. So it's crazy. It was only really two years as a starter and you mm -hmm. still set the records. Because I would, I would yeah. have thought you were starting as a freshman, oh, no. kind of build on it. No, that, not at all. That's nutty. Yeah, I think uh, my junior year was probably the first time I ever, besides high school, even got like 10 carries a game. Wow. Yep. So how the heck, when you put up all the stats like that, do you go undrafted? That's the, the golden <laughs> question, I think, here, the million-dollar right. question. Uh, that's something I can't even really <laughs> get all these into. GMs. <laughs> yeah, so uh, with that process, I definitely thought I would get drafted. You know, uh, it started off, you know, I kind of saw some of it unfolding, you know, I didn't get invited to the combine. Right. I saw like other backs that I even got higher praise, you know, well, all ACC, whatever it was. Right. Higher and awards invited, and all that right, stuff. Right. Get invited to the combine. I was like, wow, that's interesting or whatever. So I still try to, you know, just stay prayed up and focus on what I can control. And then, uh, no senior bowl. I've got a late invite to the NFL PA bowl and I took a lot of pride in that. So that, that uh, week, you know, I was focused on, I want to show them that I'm not only just the best running back here, because all the running backs there, maybe besides one, got a combine invite, and I mm, didn't. Mm. And I was like, I'm just focused on, I had a chip on my shoulder. So going into that game, I had a great week of practice. I ended up breaking their rushing record in the game, <laughs> and still no combine invite, wow. but it was all good. Does that, Does that one take place after the Senior Bowl and all that stuff, or? Uh, actually, actually, it was like right before the Senior Bowl. So actually, some people, I know somebody I trained with, actually got a a, a, a Reese Bowl invite hey. from that game. Interesting. So but you didn't. Nah. We gotta talk to Phil Savage. Head of that, he's a former Ravens guy. I know. I, I know our class about this. Yeah, I know our class, like the running back class this year, this past year was pretty stacked. But uh, 
you know, I kind of looked at myself as being different. You right. know, I felt like it was a lot of guys in the draft class. You know, it's a lot of us, or a lot of them that can run for a thousand yards, but like, what can you do to separate yourself from those guys? Right. And I take pride on like catching the ball, you know, running routes out of the backfield. And, you know, I just let God take control. So you don't get the senior bowl invite, you don't get the combine invite. Mm -hmm. And then the way that, you know, our scouts always talk about how they'll kind of turn over every stone to find different guys. And one of the big events that they do every year is they have a local pro day. Mm -hmm. And you participated in that, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, so, and I think that, is that one of the things that put you on the radar of the scouts here? No, definitely. So, uh... That's what um, that, that was the feedback that I got from uh, our running back coach here. So, basically, leading up to the local pro day, I had like a couple visits with a couple teams, and I actually missed the date, and uh, we had to reschedule it. So I came here. It was like the hardest workout that I had of all teams. It <laughs> really? was like the hardest one. But I had a couple workouts for like different teams, the 49ers, Chargers, and all those guys, and the other ones was visits. So I came here, and the individual period was only like five minutes long, but it was nonstop the whole entire time. <laughs> so I couldn't, and I just had got off a flight and all that stuff, like doing all that traveling. So, you know, I did the individual period, and then I had to get the chance to run routes for uh, the coaching staff, and uh, I ran routes from the running back spot and the receiver spot, and I caught punts for at least like 30, 40 minutes okay. or whatever. So after, you know, they was really impressed with what they saw, and uh, when I was speaking to our running back, because he, he, he said that he really didn't know who I was besides like from high school, you know, he really wasn't big on me of like what, I guess he didn't see nothing prior to me, like leading up to that moment. So from that day, that's when they started looking into the the film or whatever it is, and uh, and I've been in contact with them ever since. And then uh, I had from that day, I kind of knew that they wasn't planning on drafting it back, but it was like if I was to slide out of the draft, they would be interested in me, you know, whatever it was. So and looking towards like the draft they didn't draft any like backs or any offensive players so they kept their word and that was a big reason you know <laughs> me sticking with my uh decision after i went undrafted so it was when you were making the decision after you go undrafted one of the reasons you chose here is because they you're saying that they kept their word and saying right. that they were going to pursue right. you they wanted you mm-hmm. that was the that was probably the worst and the best day of my life. Like, <laughs> really? that was that decision. I was with my mom. We actually cried of frustration and tears of joy at the same time. Like, it was like right after the draft. Like, so many phone calls, so many phone calls, and uh, you gotta make like the biggest decision of your life within like five minutes because they gotta go on to the next person to try to fill those spots. And uh, and I actually was almost committed to another team and then the coach called me and we ended up figuring everything out and I was just like you know what I was like me and my mom just talked about it I just went with my gut feeling I said I'm going to Baltimore wow nice. was it coach Hammock that called is that the one mm-hmm. that you talked to and he was the one that kind of made the final pitch to yeah, sell you on coming coach here Ham- mm-hmm. nice how much have you learned from Danny Woodhead because you know mm-hmm. he's also a back that does a lot as a receiver right uh, so how much have you kind of followed what he does uh, it's a lot you can learn from him uh, obviously you know 
me playing like the same role he played is 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 awesome, you know, just to get the chance to just be up under his wing. So just a lot, you know, just far as his knowledge of the game, you know, just to take that part of the game as serious as possible. You know, the guy, he's not the biggest guy. I'm not the biggest guy. Right. But that man played in the league how many years? Eight years or something eight, like that. Eight, nine right. years. Yeah. And that's something that I want to accomplish. So I'm like, how did he do that? How did he, you know, stick around that long? And I, and I can tell, like, when he's on the field, he's the smartest player probably on the field. You know, I don't – the quarterback, you know, they always <laughs> smart, but he's probably one of the smartest players on the field. Mm. You know, you can learn from a lot, you know, running routes. You know, I'm a big-time dude on, like, running routes, but it's a lot you can learn from watching him run routes, just his patience, the way he sets you up, and just catching everything for real. Right. Well, I remember watching practice and, and us reporters, you know, we're always looking for, like, something to just kind of stand out a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, because practice, you know, it's interesting for you guys. Sometimes for us, it gets a little slow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I specifically remember you going up and making a one-hander by the sideline, mm -hmm. like, early on in the OTAs, I want to say. You remember this one? That, that was rookie minicamp. Was it rookie minicamp? Mini okay, uh -huh. yeah. And I remember all the reporters, we were like, you everybody see that one? <laughs> all right, let's write that one down. And, uh, so... I think you've definitely made an impression. Right. Yeah. So thank you so much, Smoke. Really appreciate thank it. Thank y'all. Fans are going to really like watching yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Taekwon. As he exits, we welcome in Ricky Ortiz. We're just running them through today. It's just, you know. It's, it's an assembly line here on the podcast. It's an assembly line of great interviews. So here comes Ricky, uh, fullback slash linebacker. Fullback here. Uh, but he played just about everything in Oregon State. Here's Ricky Ortiz. Let's talk about fullback, first of all. Uh, the Ravens signed you as an undrafted rookie free agent right after Kyle Juszczyk leaves. So you got to be like, nice, here we go, open fullback spot, let's do this thing. What was, what, was your, uh, what was behind your decision to sign with the Ravens and your reaction when you saw that you had that open shot? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it started with uh, getting a phone call, an early phone call from Coach Hammock and uh, just, you know, really sensing the confidence in his voice that I was his guy. Right. You know, that I was number one on his list for fullback. And uh, I thought it was a perfect opportunity. I mean, <clears throat> he talked about Juice and, uh, you know, how he developed here and how he had the chance to coach him. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for myself, you know, to be put in a position where I, you know, I could, be, could become that elite fullback, you know, and be able to be versatile like I was in, in the offense at Oregon State, you know. And so <clears throat> just having that opportunity really and and just uh, you know taking advantage of it while I'm here, you know, has been has been probably probably one of the bigger uh, you know bigger things that that I think that that will kind of lead me uh, to you know become the best like the best that I can be at that spot. So, in looking at Juice, it seems like when you're in college and you're thinking about okay, I'm going to try to make this jump to the NFL level. Do you look at a guy like Kyle and say, like, that is the kind of role? Is he sort of like the model of, like, the new fullback in today's game? You know what? <clears throat> at first, I, you know, I, was I didn't study a lot of the fullbacks because at Oregon State, I mean, I played every spot. I played right. linebacker, fullback, uh, tight end, H-back. Quarterback. Return. <laughs> right, return. <Yeah. laughs> slot, slot receiver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but, <clears throat> you know, after – after really getting into the film, I mean, uh, my you know my fa my father you know talked to me um, before my senior season, and you know we both agreed that I was fullback. You know it was just what what the team needed at the time, 
and uh, <clears throat> he talked to me about DeMarco from uh, the Falcons who just got signed by the Bills on a bigger contract and he talked to me and then he talked to me he said hey watch Juice <clears throat> and uh, he, you know I started watching their highlights and I saw a lot of similarities you know between my game and their game I mean they're both you know great fullbacks in the league right now so you know <clears throat> kind of studying you know those guys and you know seeing seeing what they bring to the table and knowing that that I'm very similar in that fact um, I think it was, you know, it was going to set me up, you know, to have a good shot at the next level. So um, I would say that Juice and, and both DeMarco uh, from the Falcons were great examples yeah. to me, and uh, they represented just something that I wanted to become when I stepped foot in the league. So I know that Juice would always get mad when we would ask him about whether fullback's a dying breed. He got tired of that question by the <laughs> end of his four years here. So I'll get you sour on the question right from the start here. So <laughs> are fullbacks a dying breed? <laughs> Uh, I don't think so, <clears throat> and that's because, I mean, these this past two teams in the in, in the Super Bowl, you know, they had fullbacks. Yeah. So, I mean, I came from both pro style and then switched to a spread offense my last two years at Oregon State. So I know both sides of the things, but I, I think that you know fullback is essential to an offense. I mean, you know, they bring so much to the table. Um, they're just physical. I mean, you want that physical guy coming through the hole, you know, leading, leading uh, the running back <clears throat> either on ISO or, you know, outside zone or power. You know, you want that physical feeling, you know, to come from, from that guy, that presence. And, uh, you know, you can't factor out a fullback if you want to have a balanced offense. So I say that, you know, the fullback spot is not a dying breed. I say it's coming back even more, you know, I love I love personally watching uh, Allstott when he played for the. Oh, he, for the he was like an all and all. <laughs> God, I love playing Madden with my yes. <laughs> just trucking people. Yeah. Those old school Madden teams with um, Allstott and then work done Thunder yeah. and Lightning. Oh, yeah. nasty. Yeah, just watching those guys. You know, watching him play. You know that physicality. You know you can't replace that. You yeah. can't. You you gotta have that that guy in the offense. You know you gotta. I, I like to call it the linebacker of the offense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to have that physical guy, that physical presence, like I said. And uh, no, to answer your question, I don't think it's a dying breed. At <laughs> Ricky, all. this is where you got to flip the question on Garrett and say, well, Garrett, are journalists a dying breed? <laughs> huh? Yeah, <laughs> writers? Yeah. Your profession is dying, Garrett. Right, right. And mine. Yeah, that's your profession. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of professions, we got to get into your other profession here, oh, yeah. which is being an avocado <laughs> farmer, which is pretty awesome. Not a bad fallback. So you got to tell us the story. How did you first get into avocado farming? Uh, it was back in the day, man. It was in middle school with me and my buddy, Adrian Contreras. You know, I've told this story many times, but, uh, you know, it's developing. I mean, our ideas, you know, have just been kind of floating around uh, in middle, you know, since middle school. And, you know, they came to life and, you know, we, we saw just a, a great market, um, a great opportunity for us as you know, uh, business business partners, and we took advantage of it. Uh, his dad owned uh, land down in Mexico, so you know, being that he's a dual citizen, it enabled us to uh, actually start planting avocado trees. So um, then, from I don't know how many years going back now. Um, say 13 so about 10 10 years 10 11 years since we started that um 
it's just grown. I mean, the markets, it's, it's incredible. Just watching the market, you know, the prices are going up. I mean, consumer demand is, is high. So yeah, I got avocado on everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you see the prices. My dad prices them all the time. I mean, he's, he sees them now at two ninety nine in avocado at some stores in California. So I don't know if that's due to Trump's uh, tax on the border, but because uh, you know, with those taxes that he's inflicting, all the all the farmers are going to do is raise their price, which is still making the same. So I don't know how beneficial that is to that tax. But here we go. This is my guy right here. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we have some. Uh, we definitely we definitely are, are focusing more on um, guacamole, I think, and I think that's going to be uh, pretty huge for us. Um, we're trying to, you know, make it more of a sports business. So kind of get get some of the NFL guys, and by guys I mean guys that we think that are fit for uh, positions in our company, and uh, and kind of use them. I mean, market the business, uh, use them as investors. I mean, we have I have a couple buddies in the league, so and I think that they would be uh, great great fits for you know our company and. Not only would we be uh, impacting, you know, one area or targeting one area, you wouldn't, you would be hearing it, you know, around the country in different organizations, and I think that that's that's something that we we kind of are are we're gonna, you know, go for and make a business plan for. So um, right now, it's about getting those machines uh, up and ready, and then from there, I mean, everything's USDA certified with the trees, so. You know, as far as that goes, it's all good. So uh, I would say just really focusing on building our team next and building that business plan, getting those machines and then getting stuff started, kind of advertising a little bit more with the league. You know, it's it's a great way to, uh, to advertise. Uh, the NFL has done a great job of advertising guacamole and avocados. So, you know, it would be be pretty cool to just get in, get on, get in on that and, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully just start taking off. How many avocados do you like produce on an annual basis? Yeah, so it's annually. I mean, we have. I mean, it, it produces harvest is year round, so you could probably, I'd say, range from like two hundred. It depends on the avocado tree, but there's two hundred and two fifty a tree. So you multiply that by however many trees you have which is like 200,000 for us so <laughs> it's that's a lot of a lot of guacamole man and yeah. you know what uh what's cool about that is that uh you could actually uh target some of the other farmers for guacamole the avocado nobody sees what avo- I mean the avocado there's a lot of avocados that fall to the ground so being sustainable and being a sustainable company means for us is like actually taking those avocados off of other farmers' hands and uh, start making the guacamole out of it. And sometimes they just otherwise throw them out. They throw can't them out. sell the avocado. That yeah, that you ground. can't sell them to the to the market. You can't put them in the market because they right. look they don't look like uh, they're red. They're, some of them are red. Oh, they're sunburnt. Uh, they've been on the ground, so you don't sell those avocados, but they're perfectly good. Uh-huh. So in a in a sustainable way, we wanted to take advantage of that and uh, really aim, you know, towards uh, just using that as more product because. I mean, Jalisco, uh, the state of Jalisco in Mexico is just, uh, it's swarming with avocado. So, I mean, there's tons of farmers out there, and it'd be pretty easy to take those off their hands yeah. and, and actually use that as 
as part of our product. Interesting. Well, you got big plans ahead of you. Tons of them. Dude, this guacamole <laughs> recipe, I was, t- I oh, was yeah, asking you, about. You, yeah, so that's, nice. a sec- that's a secret. So <laughs> You gave it to I me? I can't just tell everybody on this podcast. No, you didn't give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to invite him to, you know, if we're not playing in the Super Bowl, Ricky's getting an invite to my Super Bowl party. Yeah. He's a guacamole guy. I've been working on it. I made guacamole the other day. It's, you know, I've got my own it's hard. Recipe. It's hard to mess it up, put it that way. It's it, kind of hard to mess it up. That's true. Uh, you can put a ton of ingredients in it. Uh, you could use sour cream, whatever you want. Um, simple is better, right? Yeah, simple. I think simple is better, but um, for me, I, I like not using sour cream. It's right. kind of going, it's going natural and adding whatever you want to add. You want to spice it up. Mm-hmm. spice it up put some whatever kind of chili you want to put in there but uh there's a lot of things you can do with it you can make smoothies out of it and that's something that my mom just started doing so uh it's pretty cool pretty I'm cool a, stuff have you have avocado ice cream i have not so that's nice. nice you would have avocado ice yeah i've never, it a little never bit even heard far. of that until now, but <laughs> we have see, an balls for being that just shows you how diverse avocado is though so see this is i'm gonna have a branch of your business here avocado <laughs> ice cream yeah, i don't think there's this huge craving for avocado ice cream Everyone there's gonna be they, didn't just, say, they said the same thing about guacamole 50 years ago they they guacamole. who wants that <laughs> yeah <laughs> ricky ortiz pleasure man thank you guys thank for you. having me appreciate it all right, thanks to Ricky, and I still don't understand why you like avocado ice cream. There's some things that are meant to be ice cream, are meant to be, you know, there's... My brother-in-law just had asparagus ice cream. Yeah, that's disgusting. You know, there's, was, He said it was delicious. There's no need to make asparagus ice cream. They're, they're just, it's healthy. You make healthy ice cream, no, avocado ice cream. But I don't want healthy ice cream. Why not? Cream. I want You can just have cream. the best of both worlds. It's not the best of both worlds because it's still asparagus ice cream. If I want ice cream, I want something good. I'll put throw some peanut butter in there, throw some hey, sort of I chocolate in there. I would argue with you on the That's peanut butter. what I want in my ice cream. I don't want Shout carrots. Shout out to my nutty buddy out there, peanut butter. I don't want carrots and asparagus and <laughs> avocado and kale ice cream. That is ridiculous. Don't give me any of that I crap. I like all that stuff. Uh, quick story, quick story. This People is like you little... just ruin good things. People like you ruin good things. No. We make, we make good things even better. Now I need spinach ice cream. This what's wrong with this country. Go ahead. <laughs> That's what's wrong with That's this what's country. wrong with this country. Quick story. Quick story on the avocado. This is just a, you know, words to the wise for all you listeners out there. Never sign up to be the guacamole person to a party. You know, when they say everybody brings something, don't sign up for the guacamole. My wife made this mistake a couple years ago for our Christmas party slash holiday party. Uh, for the department here, she says, yeah, we'll bring the guacamole. Then you have 30 people at the party, right? That's a lot of avocados. That's like <laughs> Ricky's entire tree farm. I know. So we have to buy. We go to the Trader Joe's to get avocados, <laughs> and I'm like, babe, we got like 10 bags. It costs us like 50 bucks to bring this thing. I, I could have bought a pie for five. Yeah. We spent dropped 50 bucks Bring a ton of... We came seriously with a wheelbarrow full of guacamole. Guess how much got eaten? Guess how much? Well, I was there. I was there, but but I'd say a fair amount of the guacamole got eaten. But That did not even probably put a dent When you came in with a five-gallon drum and people eat one gallon of it, you still have a lot of avocados left over. Seriously. You know how brown that got in my fridge? I'm sitting there. You I'm, did not. You, you probably did try to recycle that and keep it. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. took it back home. I put the pits in it. I tried to eat. I it was, never works. It never works. I was picking around little brown spots for a little while. You know me. It never works. I'm cheap. It, I don't throw stuff yeah, out. Yeah, and you still, this was probably like three years ago that this happened. And you, still working on it. Well, yeah. You probably <laughs> still have it in your fridge somewhere. Thinking there's a green <laughs> spot somewhere at the bottom. You just got to pick through it. 
But you use that to try to get out of bringing anything for the Christmas party. Well, well three years ago least, I brought three years ago I yes. brought guacamole. Now I'm like the I'm the soda guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring the, the I'll two bring liter of Coke and the Sprite. I'll bring napkins. Exactly. That's my job now. Yeah. You have the... The onus is on you to bring the good stuff. You're just a bad party guest. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, really enjoyed all the three of these interviews with Ricky, Tim, and Taekwon. Uh, just, it was fun to get to know all of them, have unique stories. Um, and I think all three of them, they're going to push for a roster spot. They've for got, sure. They've got, if not on the 53, then on the practice squad. These are guys to root for, for yeah, sure. They, it's easy. You can see why that they're likable. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, as always, if you have uh, questions, comments, emails uh, that you want to share with us, you can do that by emailing us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. We also want to encourage you guys to uh, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. You know, sometimes there's a lot of them coming in lately. It's been a little stagnant. Um, we need, you know, step up. Yeah. And uh, just have to let you know that we will not have an episode of the podcast next week during the Fourth of July break. Uh, the whole company is basically given the week off. Thank you very much, Stevie B. <laughs> uh, and so we will not have one next week, and I will not be here the following two weeks. Mink is going to be out for the next six weeks. It's um, going to be great. There's only got to be somebody. There's somebody here that has to keep this place afloat, and it, generally speaking, is always me. You'll find me in Amsterdam, Belgium, and France, good sir. Yeah. Again, not pulling your weight. And I've got to get the job done. But luckily for the listeners of the podcast, I am here and I will not relent. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back soon.